Mom to Mom podcast. We're three generations of moms who've experienced nearly every season of motherhood. Of course, we don't have all the answers, but you can be sure that we'll always point you to the one who does. We're pouring a cup of coffee and we're chatting motherhood today. Pull up a chair. We're really glad you're here. Fifteen years ago, in the quietness of room 304, I was handed a small bundle of pink. Nestled together in the wee hours of the morning, we made our introductions. As I peeled back the pastel wrap that engulfed her, our eyes met for a moment. Only a moment, but that was all the time it took. That was all the time God needed to write his truth upon my heart. The truth that this little six-pound gift was more than just baby girl, as her bassinet placard read. She was a talent, a talent that only he could entrust, a talent that I could safeguard for as long as he allowed, a talent that I could multiply for her good and for his glory. And so with most of her childhood days behind us and tucked away as a memory, the gravity of that moment, that one brief eye-meeting moment comes to mind often and compels me to walk this journey of motherhood with intentional purpose. I am a pattern, a blueprint of femininity, for better or worse, for her to follow. God has woven us together with purpose. Mine is to teach what is good, and hers is to walk along behind. Behind, but only for a short while, until the day she can walk beside. Scripture teaches in Titus 2, 3 through 5, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Although it would be easy for me to trade the good for the good enough, I'm acutely aware that it's my job as her mother to work my way out of a job, to use my home and my few brief years with her as a training ground, a greenhouse where she could not only learn, but embrace true biblical womanhood. So today I'm here with Kate Battistelli and September McCarthy. These are two mothers who have raised many daughters and we're going to be chatting today about what it means to be a mother of girls. Ladies, I want to know right out of the gate, how has being a mother of a girl changed you? So I would say, wow, just three letters. Wow. <laughs> because being a girl mom has changed me so radically. Um, I think it began with me seeing a reflection of how I was acting and reacting or speaking in my girls, you know, their tones, their attitudes, the responses, they became like a mirror to me. And I had to still and still do work hard to keep my words, my attitudes in check. Being a girl mom forces me to learn how to be compassionate with others, um, other women. It changes how I see others. Um, being a girl mom of many girls has changed how I champion other women. And especially it has taught me how I think about myself and how God thinks of me. Um, it has taught me to be patient, to be available, 
to be sharing of everything, including clothing and everything that's mine is theirs. So being a mom girl has changed me radically. It is one of the top sanctifying lessons in life. And I have seven daughters. So that, that is um, speaking to how much being a girl mom has changed me. For me, Jamie, let me count the ways. I, I mean, now I had my daughter, Francesca, back in 1985 before there were any kinds of tests available to let you know what sex your child was going to be. So my husband and I didn't know what we were having until the day that she was born. However, I always had an inner knowing. As soon as I found out I was pregnant, I just knew that it was a girl. And giving birth to her caused me to grow up in so many ways. My life no longer revolved around me and what I wanted and needed 24-7 because all of a sudden, I had this adorable but helpless baby who needed my attention constantly. And of course I was completely in love, so it wasn't a hardship at all. Honestly, I delighted in having a daughter and I did all I could to let her know from the time she could comprehend that she was precious to me. And more importantly, she was precious and extremely valuable to God. I knew how I was raised and it was without much affection or direction. And I determined early on, it was going to be very different for Francesca. And my husband and I both wanted to make sure she would know early on, she was loved and adored by God and that he had a plan and a purpose for her life. So we were determined that we would help her to find it. So being a mother of the girl, it's really changed me in all the best ways and made me much less selfish but it's really caused me to seek God and his purposes with much more determination than I ever did before I had a child. So Kate and I both have just one girl, but I have a pack of boys that come along behind her. And so I, I obviously parent them all with the same amount of love and intentionality, but because of their different genders, that parenting has to um, be slightly different. Wouldn't you say September? Do you, do you feel like you parent your girls just a little bit different than your boys? Yeah, I think for me in our home parenting, my boys, you know, I'll say something and they hear me and I don't have to repeat myself, but with girls, you have to say things differently. You have to say them different ways. You speak to their emotions more. You're parenting them to train them to be a certain way. Whereas boys, it's, they, they learn things very concrete. So girls are more emotionally driven. And so parenting my girls, I feel is more exhausting emotionally and spiritually and mentally and I, versus raising boys, which would be probably more exhausting uh, physically. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think one of the distinctions between maybe how parenting boys has changed me versus parenting my daughter who she was my first run at it you know she was my my firstborn um i definitely feel like parenting her has helped me or made me frame my identity and my worth differently because she sees how i respond to things like if i make a side comment about my muffin top or if i can't handle criticism and maybe gossip of others she's watching for how I react to that, um, maybe how I step out in courage or don't. Whereas my boys might not notice those things. Like they don't care if I'm talking about my muffin top, but that really affects her because as a female, she also, you know, can fall prey to those 
attacks on her identity and her physical appearance. So I have to be really mindful about how I frame things and how I frame my worth in front of her. I don't want her to hear body shaming from me or um, criticisms of myself, or I don't want her to hear nothing but fear come from my lips because like I said at the beginning, I'm a pattern for her and she's going to walk in whatever steps I set for her. Um, with, you know, some deviation, she's obviously her own person, but I'm the example she looks to. So I guess what I'm trying to say is having a girl, mothering a girl has really helped me be mindful of my own identity in Christ. Um, September, because you have seven girls, and, and I guess I should say between the three of us, we have nine girls. So that's quite a handful of femininity. Um, but September has seven girls. And what I think is really interesting about her girls is it's almost as if she's had two rounds of them because she had a set of older girls and then a boy kind of in the mix, or was it a few boys, September, a couple boys. Um, and then she had another pack of girls. And between that time, there's almost a generation, not quite, but quite a few years. And so I'm wondering, September, what has been harder or maybe easier about raising a daughter this time around in, in this particular present cultural moment than when you were raising your older girls? Well, let's start with easier. So, you know, it's easier in this present culture now because there are so many amazing things externally available to us as moms. Um, you know, when I raised my older daughters, there were not a lot of um, books and devotionals and online connections or ministries or ways for me to be creatively connected with my girls. It was just my daughters and me, which is good. You know, we're on the home front and I'm, I'm working with them, but it is so good for us to have um, these things that can help ease them into the world. Now, I think it, a lot of people have done the work with um, books and resources and ministries that I can kind of give to them to read, to work with them, to connect. And, um, and I'm not saying, you know, that I sheltered my girls, but I, I feel like it's our job as parents, especially with our daughters to ease them into the world. Um, you know, not immersing them, but educating them on how to um, live in a present day culture and still hold on to femininity and purity and those things that we're teaching them um, individually in our homes. And so for me, I found it easier to provide them with alternatives or options or things that before I had zero opportunities. And I, and I had to kind of think, okay, what does this look like? I felt like I was figuring out a lot of that out on my own. Um, I think as far as harder, you know, I think the number one thing we're all going to probably say today is the big social media concern. Um, they're being exposed to a lot more things. You know, we're using the internet for connections and, and ministries and resources, but it's also exposing them to a lot of things. So for me, it's harder raising daughters in today's culture because of social media, peer pressure, um, body image, identity, a lot of voices contending or competing or influxing into my home um, in addition to mine. And again, I think even the purity and the gender issue has brought up a lot of conversations in our home, raising daughters in this culture. Um, conversations that I never had to have this early or even maybe at all with my older girls. So, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that a lot of things are the same. 
but there are some definite things that have been great. And there's some definite things that have made a lot bigger challenge. And we're going to swing back around here um, in a couple of questions about the purity and maybe having some of those hard conversations with our girls about um, their identity and about uh, sexual purity and body changes. But one thing that I was thinking while you were talking, September, is do you think the fact that your younger girls have older sisters, it's almost like they have maybe built-in second moms. Do you think that that has been a hidden gift to them that maybe your older girls didn't have that first time around, that they have other women, other godly women, just a little bit further down their journey who are affirming the same things in their life that mom is? It is. It is a gift. And it's something you know, I thank the Lord for each day. It's a unique position our family is in. And it just reminds me that if there are families that don't have the situation that I have, that there is value in finding a godly feminine uh, mentor or someone that can come alongside you as a mom to be a positive influence for your, for your daughters when they are young. Because I see a lot of things I have not physically and verbally taught my younger girls that they have caught on to when it comes to etiquette or manners or how to treat guests in our home or how to be um, around other people of the opposite sex, what's proper, what's rude, what's correct. Um, you know, a lot of those things that go into being feminine. And I, I've seen those things come out and it's not necessarily because I sat them down and said, I think that they are seeing this modeled and I'm really grateful. Um, but then also you have to remember that between the ages of maybe 16 and maybe 19, there is a time when we have daughters and they're trying new things and they're discovering their identity on their own, no matter what we teach them. And I do, I really do want to discuss that today because um, we have to let our girls do that. We have to let them learn from us, but also connect with God and the world in a way that they have their identity concrete without just, well, my mom told me that this is what or who I am. And so between like the ages of 16, 19, they're, they're looking for that. They're searching, you know, they have what we've given them. So my daughters, my younger daughters have also seen this. So I've had to kind of say to my younger girls, okay, this is what they're doing now. You know, I may not agree, or this may not be what God has for your path. And so, you know, having a mentor or someone else that you're watching grow up has, you know, pros and cons, but in the end, you know, they always come around to, um, who God made them to be. Mm, that's such a great point. And I think for those of us who do just have one, or maybe our girls are just really close in age. And so we don't have the benefit of older daughters, um, pouring into our younger ones. I guess I can just encourage the moms that are in that same spot, because I'm right there, um, to reach outside of your circle. I know that my daughter has made some really great connections with some young 20-something women in our church who have volunteered in the youth group or who she has just sought out. And I've really encouraged her and championed her in those relationships because I cannot be all the things for her, and I shouldn't be. And especially when she is of that like 16 to 19 year old age, I think seeing other examples of how faith is lived out in godly women that might not be exactly like mom would do it, but the core values, the things that matter most, Jesus is still at the center. And so she's able to see several different samplings of what that might look like with 
in the realm of different personalities and different age groups. And, and so I'd really encourage a mom to don't push back on that. If you're, if your daughter is reaching out to another um, woman in the faith who might be in her twenties or early thirties or whatever it is, encourage and champion those relationships. Well, girls, how do we raise, because September touched on this a little bit, but I want to go a little bit deeper. How do we raise girls to have a gentle and quiet spirit, as 1 Peter 3, 4 says, humble, with a heart of service to others, both in and out of the home, while not creating a doormat or somebody who will fall prey to abuse or maybe be taking advantage of? It's a really um, fine line to walk, I think. How, how can we best do that as moms? We were always really big on teaching humility in our house because we believe that God will only ever raise you up to the degree you're willing to go low. And the lower you go, the higher he can take you because the lower you go, the more willing you are to take the unseen place, to do the job no one else wants to do, to wash feet willingly and without complaint. Those are the ones Jesus is looking for that he can use to serve in his kingdom here on earth. It's hard in this present culture that puts so much emphasis on fame and numbers and platform. I mean, I struggle with it myself because as an author and a speaker and now a podcaster, you have to want to have an impact. But to do that, you need followers. And to get followers, some of the things they tell you to do don't always align with scripture. So it's a tricky place to navigate. So we have to do it prayerfully. But most importantly, we have to model it in our homes. And I've always said that what we model our children will follow. So if we want to raise a daughter with a gentle and quiet spirit, we have to exhibit that ourselves. If we want our daughters to have a heart for service, she must see ours first and serve with us. We don't want to create doormats, of course not. Like with anything else though, if an opportunity for our daughter to serve comes in, we should pray about it with her, listen to any concerns she might have to make sure she isn't being taken advantage of or falling victim to any kind of abuse. We don't want that. So I think we just need to pray, look at it with her, get a sense of what it's all about. And then I think it's fine, depending on the age, go ahead and, and do it with her, serve with her. There's nothing wrong with being a parent who's very involved in your child's life, depending again on the age. If they're a 17 or 18 year old, it's going to be different than when they're 12 but definitely serve with them. Let them see you serving. Be the example of what you want your child to be, but be willing to be in the back, in the background, you know, be willing to take the lower place. Let them see you doing that and not having to be out front. And I think that's going to make a big difference. Maybe just to add to that would be, um, I think it's important for us to educate our girls on what and I say this word predator, you know, loosely um, may look like someone that is going to use or take advantage of them or see their kind, sweet spirits that want to serve and take advantage. So I've taken a lot of time to have conversations on what healthy serving looks like and a healthy response and expectations would be for my girls if they were to serve other people. Like I've had that conversation and we have had so many talks about this. Um, you know, I want my girls to be strong leaders. I want them to use their gifts, but I also want them to be cautious. Um, so I think it's important for us to teach our girls and our daughters what it looks like to not be a healthy, strong, humble leader. Like we need to teach them what it doesn't look like so they recognize it and so that they also don't become that person. So I ask my girls questions 
about um, how they can use their gifts and be humble, strong leaders. And, um, you know, sometimes when you have daughters, their gifts are very apparent and they, they don't have a gentle and quiet spirit. That doesn't mean that um, my daughters aren't being godly feminine girls. Like I have daughters who have very strong, um, robust personalities and they're not quiet. And then I have some daughters who are just the picture of um, first Peter three, four. And so I always remind my daughters, it doesn't mean that you are the quiet little church going girl that's just there and lets everybody else go ahead of you all the time. It's okay to succeed. It's okay to do well, but it's what's inside. It's, do you want the best for others? Do you defer? You know, and, and I ask them questions. I want them to recognize when they're making their own decisions. Um, how can I be a healthy leader? How can I be a humble leader? How can I be a um, a quiet leader. And um, so I think we have to teach them what it doesn't look like and then to foster this sense of humility, like you said, Kate. Yeah, I think sometimes we have a really narrow-minded view of what service is and that um, we assume that service isn't the strong way or that humility is somehow weak or naive. But I think girls and, and actually boys too can hold onto all of the fruits of the Spirit while also being confident because their confidence comes from the Lord. And I think, September, you hit the nail on the head. It really is about um, education, or as Francis Bacon said, knowledge is power. And I think, too, for far too long, women leaders in the church have sort of shied away from talking about certain topics with young girls in a real well-intentioned attempt to just keep their innocence. So it's coming from a good place. But as we've mentioned in a podcast, you know, a, a few episodes ago, we cannot parent in the world we wish we were living in. We have to parent in the world that we're actually living in. And so at a certain point, when our girls get to be a certain age, we need to start having some really hard discussions about, let's say, promiscuity, drug abuse, abortion, all these topics that we would love to just hide our heads in the sand and avoid for kingdom come and for all of time. But our girls need us to talk about these things with them because if we're not, someone else is surely going to. And so I want to be the one who is preparing my daughter and giving her the tools to feel confident and equipped out in the world so she doesn't fall prey to someone trying to take advantage of her. And, and so I guess what to sum up that whole question, Mama, you can have a girl who is humble and who serves, who loves Jesus, who also is confident and secure and can be trusted. You can hold on to both. They can hold on to both. It doesn't have to be an either or thing. So I'm wondering where does discipling in biblical femininity, we keep tossing around this word femininity, where does discipling in biblical femininity fit into our feminist society and, and does it fit? You know, we are our daughter's first exposure to the definition of femininity. We model this in our speech, you know, in our manners, our treatment of others, the way we dress. And I want my daughters to know the beauty of being a woman and the strength and honor that comes with this. I have this talk with my girls a lot. Um, what does feminism really mean? 
I think that's important to kind of discuss what, what does feminism really mean? Because I, I feel like, um, I'm raising some strong, bold, confident daughters, and some might use those same words to describe a feminist, you know, strong, bold, confident, and then the list goes on. And so it's hard. I think in this world, we could say, well, you're raising a feminist then. But when we have a deeper conversation on how we approach this with our girls, I think the best place this can come from is humility. Like we said earlier, humility is a trait that exemplifies femininity so beautifully. Um, I think when humility is taken out, you really do have a movement of feminism. And so when my daughters are confident about an audition or a job interview or a position of leadership that they're given or a gift that they have or motherhood, maybe they're confident in their motherhood, my older girls, someone may see that and say, well, she's just um, a natural or which maybe she is, or she is, um, you know, she's just a strong woman and um, she doesn't really need anybody else. And those are definitions that are applied to the society of feminism today, I think. But I think when you look further into a woman's home who is confident, who is doing her best and who's humble and willing to receive instruction, willing to maybe change the way she speaks or treat others, that really boils down to humility. And so um, discipling biblical femininity into our society today, it does have a place. I believe it begins in our homes and it's all in what we do with what God has given to us. Um, so I like to take what I see in each of my daughters, which is totally unique. I don't raise my seven daughters like one or the other at all, and which takes such a concerted effort. It exhausts me. Um, like, I feel like I have enough to work on just in my own um, life. And then I have these seven girls. Um, so I feel like when I have these conversations with them, the thing I want to say to them is you have the ability to show a side of femininity to the world that is biblical that other people don't see. They don't recognize it. They wouldn't call it biblical femininity. They're going to say something like, wow, she is different. Why is that? Or she just has a way about her. You know, those words that they can't just quite put their finger on. And those are the things that people see. But what does that look like? It looks like um, taking extra care in our appearance. It, it looks like showing hospitality to others. It looks like um, stewardship of our bodies. It looks like guarding our tongue. It looks like not being um, that person on social media that joins in the negative conversations. It looks like someone who honors her boyfriend or her husband, who has kind words, someone who doesn't have to be the loudest in the room. You know, all those things that as my girls are going through a day or even when they're at the dinner table, you know, I'm like, okay, let's be a little bit more um, kind or let's be a little bit more ladylike. I use that word as a lot. Ladylike. Is that even a word anymore? Do people even say that? And so um, I think that those things come out just in their character when they leave our homes and even as they're growing up. But I don't think people recognize it um, for femininity. Um, they just know something's different and it's appealing and it's beautiful. I love that September. You know, our, our secular society does not like biblical femininity, but it does have a place and I've come to the conclusion that we just can't fit our beliefs into society because they simply won't fit. We have to teach the values we believe in and let the chips fall where they may. The world doesn't like most things about biblical Christianity, so they aren't going to like us letting our husbands, for example, be the head of our households or most of the other biblical commands that we follow. 
our job is to teach what the Bible teaches and how we can live it with love and grace and do our best to not be offensive, but also to have a defense for others when they come against our way of life. It's important for our girls to see that living according to biblical femininity works when we do it biblically with love and respect at the root. Just because we believe in biblical femininity doesn't mean that we can't be strong women who can still make a difference in the world. We can be submitted to our husband, yet still change the world. I mean, just read Proverbs 31. And loads of Christian women are able to honor the men in their lives and respect the different roles that men and women have, yet still make a difference, still change the world, still have an impact in society. So I think that is all part of biblical femininity fitting into a feminist society. I think it absolutely has a place. Right. Just to piggyback on what you said, Kate, I really want my daughter to know that God has made women different. And you said that. He's made men and women different on purpose. And, and that means that men and women have equal value in his eyes. We're not lesser than, but we're different by design. And we play different roles in, in kingdom work. Not lesser roles, just different roles. And that's okay. I don't think that that distinction should be shunned. It should be celebrated. And of course, this contradicts and flies in the face of everything the world is going to tell her. But when we look at even just the first mention of the word woman in the Bible, God calls her Ezer, which, you know, if you look that up in Hebrew, it actually means helper. And so women have, you know, down through the ages have been placed in a helper role. And we often want to buck that or bristle. That's so old fashioned. It feels constricting. But here's the thing that we need to remember, ladies. The word Ezer is mentioned in scripture, in the Old Testament at least, 21 times. Only two of those were in reference to women. A couple of times they were in reference to the, the nation of Israel, but 16 out of the 21 times where helper is used, Ezer is used, it's in reference to God. And if you think that Ezer is somehow inferior or lesser than, then you've never met my God. Our delineation of Ezer is an honor because that Ezer is an Ezer helper. God is the one who, who comes alongside us and helps us in our helplessness. So Ezer isn't inferior. And, and I think that's important to teach our girls that we're, we're different, not lesser than. We have equal value. Our roles are just different. And that is a good thing. What about the mom? who um, has a girl who's stubborn or maybe is willful or even sassy, how can she guide that willfulness in the right direction? And obviously, I, I guess I'm, I'm spinning this in light of, of a mom who has a younger girl who just is really uh, a stubborn five-year-old or a very willful seven-year-old or a sassy six-year-old. How can they take that personality trait and um, mold it and guide it in the right direction. Well, my husband was the wisest man of all when he told me years ago, when we first started raising daughters, that the strong, willful attitudes that we saw in our firstborn daughter may be problematic, hard to raise, or downright exhausting. They um, are actually the spirit that would be used in her future for something great. And he was right, because I have seen this over and over and over. 
So he reminded me over and over September, it's our job to remove the bad behavior and not crush the spirit because that is the spirit that will be used for something great in their future. And so any mom that's listening that has that daughter and you think, oh, they just don't know what my daughter's like, or I could never have a feminine little girl or this, I can't even imagine my daughter growing up to be, you know, just look at the behavior as, um, outward externals that do need to be addressed and, and behavior patterns that do need to be shifted and changed. But when it comes to her spirit, that strong determination to do something, whatever it is, um, be careful not to crush that spirit. And we can talk about that a little bit more, but he was right. And I'm not going to pretend this is easy because our big question is, so how do we guide them in the right direction? And that's what you're saying, Jamie. Um, well, you know, it takes prayer. It takes self-control and perseverance is the main thing I would say filtering out the personal aspect. And I think if, if I were to share anything today about raising daughters, when it comes to be, you know, bad behavior or difficult moments, this would be the thing I would really want to hit home today. And it's this, a lot of times as moms, because it's woman to woman, female to female, the behaviors that we see or that are um, played out in front of us, we take personally. There is this connection between moms and daughters that when they do something, we take it personally. Um, it's just an emotional thing. It's a connection thing. It's real. I've seen it. I've done it. But if you could filter out that personal aspect to what your daughter's saying or doing or how they're acting, if you could take yourself out of the equation, then you're going to see the spirit there that is driving this behavior. And that is the spirit that you want them to do something great with um, as they grow up. So a lot of times I've had to remove myself from that situation say, well, they're not doing this to make my life miserable. They're not doing this because they don't like me. They're not doing this because they don't care how much work I've put into raising them or how many ballet classes I've sat through or how many voice lessons I paid for. They don't, they're not thinking any of that. They're not thinking any of that. It's not about us as moms. It's really not. And if I were to just share that one piece of advice to moms of daughters, I would just say, listen, you're raising a woman. And if you can remember that when they're little girls, it's so much easier because you don't want to purposely take on something that wasn't meant for you. So I think that's a lot of times when we have daughters who are strong spirited and maybe stubborn, willful or sassy. Um, a lot of times we feel like it's directed at us and it's, and it's just not. So, um, you know, I'd encourage you to persevere through this one thing. Good advice, September. And I like what Dan said, that, that that could very well be part of their future, that the strong things about them that drive you crazy now could very well be part of what God's going to use in the future, but we still have to tame them. So some of the practical things, I mean, we're all going to face those things in our daughters at some point. And depending on her age, every girl will go through those emotions and act out on them. It's just part of being a female, I think. So as moms, we learn to communicate with our girls, to sit and talk with them, try to figure out where that stubbornness or sassiness or disobedience is coming from. Now, if it's causing direct disobedience, we have to deal with that first and require them to obey, do what you've told them to do, then sit and talk, do all you can to get to the bottom of it, to figure out, you know, where is this coming from? Now, sometimes maybe they're being influenced by a friend or a social group or by what they're seeing or reading online 
But if they live in your house and you're paying the bills, and I've said this before, you have every right, in my opinion, to know exactly what they're doing online. You should be in charge of their passwords and be able to go online at any time to read emails, texts, social media. We all know it's a very dangerous world out there. It's not getting lighter. It's getting darker. And to protect your child, I believe these restrictions are crucial, particularly with daughters. It's never wrong to use timeout from screens and social media as punishment if needed. Don't be afraid to be the tough mom. I remember when my daughter was little and she got mad at me about something and she said, I don't like you, mommy. And I said, you know, you don't have to like me, but you do have to obey me. And I learned young. I thought, you know what? It's just more important that she learns early that I mean what I say there's going to be that time where we're going to be close and she's going to tell me everything and she's going to think I'm the greatest thing on earth. But when she's little, she needs to learn to obey because it could be life and death at some point. So just don't be afraid to be the tough mom. Sometimes we're afraid our children won't like us, but it's so important that they just learn to obey us. And if you start when they're young, it won't be so hard when they're older. You'll have established the pattern of obedience and respect. Teach them early to be respectful, and it will nip a lot of future issues in the bud. Mm -hmm. Yes, because the ultimate goal isn't just to stop the sass or the stubborn streak. I mean, that'll certainly help you get through the the Walmart aisle a little bit easier, but that's a very temporary reason um, to discipline a child or, you know, to train them. The, the ultimate goal is that you could bend her will towards God, not break her spirit, but bend her will. Because like September said, that spirit was, was God designed. It's just this side of eternity been hijacked by Satan, as all of our spirits have been, um, without being under uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. So I, I can say, and I've, I've chatted with my daughter about this, and, and she would agree with me that she was kind of that sassy girl. As, as a little one. And if you knew her now, you would never see that in her. She's so humble and, and gentle and mild-mannered that you would never imagine her to have been a bit sassy as, as a girl. But I had to recognize that in those moments of sass or when I saw just this stubbornness spike in her, a lot of that was just a result of my own inconsistencies and dare I say it, laziness as a mom. It was a lot easier to just ignore those like small disobediences or slight bits of disrespect than to actually deal with them. But those tiny little seeds of, of disrespect or disobedience eventually grow until you have a really big problem that now you have to deal with. So I would just encourage a mom to be faithful and loving enough to your daughter to discipline those small things so that she doesn't have to endure the consequences later on. It's not easy by any shape of the imagination, that, that consistency, that faithfulness, but it's worth it in the end. So I just mentioned that so much of what I saw in my daughter was could often be, you know, pointed back at me. The blame could be put on me in, in some ways. And, and I think that's because um, girls are really revealing mirrors. They mimic us, so they show our shortcomings. So I'm wondering, girls, how can we live honestly before our daughters? And more than that, encourage them to maybe avoid the pitfalls and mistakes that we have made 
You know, I have five things. So if there's a mom listening and you have a pen or pencil, I would just say, write down these five things. And that's all I have to say. The first thing would be to talk to your girls. I think sometimes we, we think things in our mind as moms, you know, and we're giving them don't do this and do this and don't do this and do this. But when do we actually have like conversations? And so the one thing that I have worked so hard in the last, oh, let's see, probably 20 years is um, to really learn how to talk to my girls, like heart conversations, not like, how you doing? Okay, check in. No, like talk, like what's really the problem? What do you think is causing this? What do you think is going to happen when you do this? So that's the first thing, talk to them. It's actually something you have to learn. It's not just um, going to come easy, especially if you have multiple girls, different daughters don't want to talk. Um, the second thing is when correcting your girls and you will have to correct them, um, tell them you understand because you have been there too. There is nothing more calming to a daughter to know that you're not just always in teaching mode. So when I talk to my girls, when it comes up, I'm like, Hey, you know what? I have been there. I get it. I know this is hard. It's not going to be easy, but that doesn't mean that you can't not do something about this. And so when they hear me say that they're like, okay, there's some compassion in there. So tell them you understand because you've been there too. show compassion. Number three, apologize. Okay. A lot of times our daughters will actually make decisions based off something they don't like about us that we've done or something that they've seen us do that they don't want to replicate and they make a decision and it might not be good because in our mind, the problem may be resolved, but we never re apologized or said, listen, shouldn't have treated you like this, or I shouldn't have spoken to your father like that, or I shouldn't have talked about that woman in church. Like, Show them that you really mean what you're teaching them so that they can model humility well. If they see you doing these things, then you say, okay, we shouldn't gossip. You know, we should need to dress modestly and we need to try to be kind to other people, but you're not really living that. So it's going to take an apology. I can guarantee you there will be in a moment in your life where you realize, okay, I'm going to have to apologize to my daughter. And once that begins, it probably will never end. Uh, number four, actually tell them the outcomes so when I tell my daughters, if, if you do this, this is what is going to happen. I can guarantee you this is what will happen. And this is where that trust thing comes in. If they really trust you as, and respect you, doesn't mean they'll always listen, but they'll remember that you said that. Um, so I, I'm always sure, like I tell my daughters, you can make this decision, but this is what will happen if you do. So I want my daughters to know the outcomes and I want to be say, well, I told you so like that doesn't help anyone. So I want them to know what will happen. Um, and number five, I like to give them better options. If they're like, well, I don't know what to do. Like I, I, this is the only thing I can think to do right now, or I don't understand what was I supposed to do differently. I liked in those conversations, like in number one, I like to give them the better options before our conversation ends. Like these are some things that are going to happen when you go to youth group. These are some things that might happen when you meet a boy. These are some things that are going to happen when you go to, you know, school class or whatever it is. And then I say, here are some things that you might want to know before you go and some things you can choose to do. So I want to help them avoid, that's the huge key here, avoid the pitfalls and mistakes we've made. They're going to make their own mistakes. We all do but we already know the outcome to so many things that we've made and we've done. So I'm going to give them better options. That's the only way to avoid a mistake, right? Is to know how to get around it better. So those would be the five things I would, I would definitely say I use them probably every day here in my home with our seven daughters.
Those are great, September. I don't have a lot to add, but especially like your number three about asking forgiveness, repenting. That changes things in a relationship with the child, with anybody. You know, when you are can humble yourself to that degree to ask forgiveness from your child, it makes such a difference. So I, I'm 100% on all five, but I really love that one. But for me, the, the only thing I would add is be as open and honest about your past and failings as you can. I let my daughter know early on that I wasn't raised knowing Jesus as my personal savior. We went to church when I was growing up, but Jesus and the Bible were rarely talked about, and we didn't grow up according to biblical principles. I mean, I, I didn't come to know the Lord as my savior till I was 29. So because of that, I made a lot of mistakes growing up. I went down a lot of wrong roads, and I made many bad choices. So I shared those things honestly with my daughter as she was able to handle them according to her age, and it helped so much. I was very honest and real with her, and because of that, I could talk about the actual consequences that come from sin and why she should avoid the mistakes I made. And thank goodness she listened to me. She tucked those things away. She took them seriously, and I'm certain that honesty is always the best policy, even when it's embarrassing and shows clearly where you failed but she appreciated it and she took it to heart. And I promise it will pay dividends if you're honest, especially if you, if you have a past and there's things that you did that you, you know you shouldn't have done, share them with your daughter. Let her know that you were not perfect. You know, it's, it's okay. She's still going to love you, I promise. So go ahead and don't be afraid to do that. Yeah, I think it's it's really hard to be honest about the mistakes of our past with our daughters because, at least for me, I'm afraid that my daughter will think I'm a hypocrite. Or in some ways, there's still some pain there. And to open myself up to that, I don't always know that I'm ready. But like Kate was saying, you know, here's a way that God can redeem your past. You know, if you hold it out as a talent, and I don't mean talent as in like an aptitude or skill, I mean it in the truest biblical sense, as in something to invest and use for bigger purposes. You can hold that out, admit your mistakes, and, and even the repercussions of those mistakes to your daughter. And I can assure you that those will be more impactful to her than any lecture you could ever give. What about the tween or teen years, ladies? those years that I like to say are the tears and fears years. Hormones are raging, their bodies are changing, they get conflicting messages about their identity at every turn from every corner. Do you have any encouragement for the mom tiptoeing into those years? I would just say two words, be compassionate. You know, just be compassionate. Remind them as often as possible where their thoughts that they have, where those thoughts lead, and where their thoughts should or could be rooted. Um, you know, we talk about this in our home with my girls because, you know, um, they're having conversations with one another and they're all so different. It's like literally like having a junior high, high school, elementary classroom in my house. They are all at different levels of hormones and they're watching each other like, oh my word, is this going to happen to me? And then the older ones are like, oh, this is going to happen to you. And I want there to be this healthy approach to their thinking. And so I would encourage moms who have daughters in this stage of life. And this is the key. Just take it one day at a time. You know, do the conversations every day because they are truly formative years for her visual and emotional femininity. Um, and remind them daily where 
um, their identity is rooted. That's really all you can do. I mean, you can do a lot of little things to encourage them and build them up and to keep them positive and to keep them healthy and keep them strong. But it's this daily reminder. And I myself, I mean, let's be honest, I have to remind myself of that. You know, just like you were saying when we started this episode, Jamie, just, you know, the things we say about ourselves and um, the, and I can see that in my daughters. So that's why with all of the girls in my home, I have to tell my older daughters, listen, you can't, you can't talk like that in front of your younger sisters because they hear you, their thoughts are still forming about their identity and they hear you just thinking about changes you want to make, but to them, that's their identity. So it's really important for us to always go back to where we're rooted. So good. You know, the one thing I would say, moms, you've been there and done that. You've made the mistakes. Well, maybe you haven't, but I sure did. So share what you learned when you walked through those years and how you navigated it. What worked for you? What didn't? Try to help and listen as much as you can and know in advance that she will have days where she's an emotional wreck. And the best thing you can do sometimes is just listen quietly and bring her chocolate chip cookies you'll both do fine on those days and and know that she will feel ugly some days. She's going to feel overweight some days, unpopular on those days, stupid and clumsy. You know how, you remember how you felt, go with it as best you can, but continue to gently remind her how you see her and how God sees her. She is still beautiful in his sight. She is still bold. She's still a world changer and chosen he sees her as beloved and beautiful. I mean, that doesn't change no matter how she's feeling. Now she's gonna to have to work through it because it's part of the growing up process. She's figuring out who she is and where she fits into life and into the world. So help her get out of herself by getting her to do something maybe for somebody else in the family or somebody in the neighborhood, maybe somebody in need. Help her volunteer somewhere, maybe maybe with you, maybe you're volunteering somewhere, maybe there's something you can do together with her at church. Sometimes it just really helps to get out of your own head by doing something for somebody else. It gets our minds off ourselves and onto someone or a cause that just takes us out of, sometimes we're just thinking of ourselves too much. Because if you do that, it just, it's going to really help. And eventually you were fine. So, you know, she will be fine, but you know, we just have to be intentional sometimes to get out of ourselves and help her to get out of herself. I, listen, I'm, my, my husband says that self-pity is my favorite bad feeling. I'm an expert at self-pity, so I know, but I also know what it takes to get out of it and having a thankful heart, having a worshipful heart, just remind her of all the things that she has to be thankful for or all the, all the good things in her life that, you know, maybe she could start a gratitude journal, something like that. But She'll get through it just like you did, but it's going to take a little bit of time. So be patient, be gentle, be kind. So I have a practical suggestion in light of what Kate and September just shared about um, helping your daughter establish a proper identity. When my daughter was 12, I wanted to build in her a worth that wouldn't waffle and change. Like I think self-worth, that quote unquote self-worth that's so popular and prevalent in today's child rearing circles. I wanted to point her to a worth that was constant, one that wouldn't change, one that was rooted in truth and, and not her own effort. I wanted to stir in her what I call a God worth. That means I wanted her to see herself as God sees her. So I asked 12 women who knew her and who loved her 
um, her grandmas, her aunts, her mentors, other, other women in her life that knew and loved Jesus. I asked them each to write her a letter that pointed to one attribute of God worth as shown in scripture. And I compiled all these letters into a photo journal that I sent away, you know, to be printed with pictures of her um, growing up years. So that one day when emotional and physical changes got the better of her and, and she felt really insecure and, and truth was being displaced by lies, she could look to God and see herself for who she really was, like Kate said, beloved. And you can read more about that book and, and, and see some of the Godworth attributes that I selected and asked each of the women to address on my blog. I'll be sure to leave a link in the show notes. But I think that that's the key is to, to remind your daughter and pour into her, not a self-worth, but a Godworth. Who does God say she is? How did you handle the delicate conversations of periods and purity and sex? Um, I realize that's a whole lot to unpack and we're, we're almost done here with our conversation. We actually are hoping to do an entire episode on, on having the talk with your kids in just a few episodes, but can you just give me the cliff notes, especially in light of raising girls? Are there any particular resources or tips that you would recommend to a mom? Well, you know, when I was raising my first daughter, I did not have any idea how to do this. And I have moms ask me today, September, what do you do? What did you use? And it just reminds me, it takes me back to my first daughter and she and I learned this whole, um, (laughs) I call it a circus act now, but honestly, it was something we learned together. But I make this transition something special, something celebrated and something to be talked about. So I have the conversations before anything happens in their lives, any big changes. Um, I want them to know what's coming in their lives. I want them to know what to expect when it comes to getting their period or um, purity, what all of that is. So we've used the passport to purity um, through uh, Family Life Ministries, and we'll share a link for that in the show notes. But I look forward to sharing some of the stories in that episode. And I won't share those today because of time, but some important things to say was I tell my girls that sex was for marriage. So I start right off with that. We talk about sex. Um, you know, it's a beautiful and it's not shameful. And I remind them that the world has made it something it should not be. So it's our jobs to not be embarrassed by the conversation because that just sends mixed messages. I'm just going to let everyone listening sit on that for a little bit because it's one of those things that we consider like taboo. It's so hard to talk about. What do I say? I don't even know if I can do this. Um, but it's, when you send the message that it's embarrassing to talk about, that's the message you're sending. Um, so when it comes to periods and things like that and changes in my girls, um, I think those are easy to talk about. Once you realize that you're going to be talking about sex and purity, really, I mean, that's easy peasy. Some of the things I do now for resources are I have a nice special transition box for my girls. It's a big celebration between all the women and daughters in my home. Um, When my daughter transitions in between that, you know, between like 11 and 15 stage and all the changes that are coming up, she gets a special box that I keep prepared and we talk about everything. I want them to know what's coming. I don't, don't want them to be afraid. I don't want them to see it as bad. And at first I thought, is this really going to, is this going to take, like, are they really going to see this as something really good? Cause I was not raised like that. I had to believe this myself. And now my older daughters are so on board. They're like, 
congratulations. We're so excited for you. This is such a big moment. And I just stand back in awe thinking my younger daughters have such a gift that I never had, my older daughter never had, and they never once, it never once clicked. This is awkward, fearful, bad, ugly, disgusting, anything. And I was like, wow. And it, all that came from the tone that I set and the way I presented and the words and the thoughts and and um, the adjectives. And so I think it's important for us to get a kind of a good foundation, a grasp mentally before we transition into the stage. So even if you have toddlers, you know, and you're listening now, this is the time to start thinking about it. This is the time to start preparing. And we'll have uh, September unpack that box for us on a future episode. So you'll have to stay tuned for that. So I'll just give two really practical things. We're going to unpack this, like I said, in a future episode, but I just want to throw out these two resources. One book that I used when my daughter was probably about nine or 10 as she was approaching some, some body changes before she actually got to those body changes. Um, I used the book, The Care and Keeping of You. It's an American Girl book. Now, since she read that, the company has split the book into two different books, one for younger girls that kind of deals with mostly just hygiene, and then one for older tweens and early teens that talks about, you know, a menstrual cycle and really specific body changes. And I have not read either one of those books, so I can't, uh, um, I can't give them a two thumbs up, but the original book was absolutely fantastic, did not have any hidden agendas. It really was just a, a very mild healthcare and wellness book to help a girl navigate some, some really tricky topics in her life. And then I'd also recommend the book, The Talks by Barrett Johnson. And uh, I think the subtitle says it all, Critical Conversations About Sex, Dating, and Other Unmentionables. And the book unpacks all the talks, and I say talks as in plural, that need to happen as you're parenting both boys and girls. It can't just be a one and done thing. So we'll put the links to those two particular books in the show notes. Mamas, we're trying to raise up strong, godly women in an ungodly world. A large part of who they'll become is deeply connected with what we model for them. Remember, you're a blueprint. Your daughters are going to watch how you dress, how you act, how you treat others. They'll listen as you talk to your friends or your husband or maybe your not-so-loving neighbors. They'll pay attention to what you do not what you say to do. And most importantly, they'll observe how you live out the truth of God's word to the world. And, and that might feel like a heavy burden, but it doesn't have to be. It can be a really great gift, you know, to model Christ's likeness to the next generation of women and, and to pass the torch on to them when they leave your home. That is, that is a gift. Thank you so much for joining us as we've talked about what it looks like to be a girl mom. If you missed part one in this series, The Boy Mom, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to episode 35. And as always, we'd love for you to link arms with us over on Instagram or Facebook and to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you want to listen.